Welcome, welcome, welcome to an episode of Designer DAO, where we talk about Web3 and design. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Designer DAO. I'm with my favorite host, Paolo, <laughs> uh, today, and we are going to be talking about um, the Vision Pro that just came, like, just got released, like, last week, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. um and our thoughts on it what what it means for web3 and all that jazz um paula i know you've been super psyched on it and what's your kind of first thoughts on the vision pro hello hello yeah um i mean it took me it took me like two days to recover from the presentation to be honest um because um, I mean, the, the the whole thing is amazing, uh, either way you look at it. Uh, and you know that uh, if Apple launches something like that and announces something like that, it's going to be it's going to be pretty good um, for for them to announce in the way they did and 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 all the things that they did around it. And the reactions of everybody that tried it are just like speechless for most of them, especially for the um, high tracking, tapping your fingers to click kind of thing. Uh, interaction to 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 navigate apps and, and, and so on. Um, but yeah, it took me a couple of days to recover from that because I was like, okay, how can I as a independent designer, creator, etc build something that competes with this i can't it's like only apple could do this and not even google and facebook and amazon and all the others can compete with this kind of shit because it's so it's so well made it's so complete it's so uh good really um so yeah um i mean i think it's gonna be awesome um um uh i'm dying to try it yeah, and, I want to go um, to the Apple Store too. I feel yeah, exactly. <laughs> put it on because it's hard. Because I think uh, the video reviews I've seen, like it's a three D experience. So how do you record that? You can't like only you can see the thing. So it's like so you can only like rely on the demo videos. So it's definitely something that's like hard to quantify. Yeah, it's experience. I, I really want to go over like the key differences and like approaches versus what we've seen on the market i think one of one of which is the eye tracking so a lot of other um vr sets still rely on controllers um for so you to select and stuff which gotcha. kind of i feel like takes you out of the experience in a way because like you're still like you know tangible to the real world and apple made a conscious decision to really make you the tool versus adding extra hardware. And I think that decision was definitely a design decision because they, this is like literally, I see this as the first building block to, you know, what, what we will come to know as like a sort of matrix or, you know, 4D mm -hmm. experience. And I think that decision was was made because they want to build upon that and get user feedback and really be pioneers on how to track how people interact with um the software versus the hardware so i i guess i say all that to say like in order for you to create a, 
a device that relies on human behavior, you need a lot of data on human behavior. And it's very clear that Apple did a lot of um, testing to get to this point. But I think the decision to not use a, a controller puts them further ahead in terms of having pure user data and feedback on how people interact with digital experiences, which will then like they're gonna, they're just going to be ahead because of that de decision, and I I can definitely see them patenting and being like the the sole source of like that information for other devices in the future. Um, yeah. And um, and one of the things that when I was watching the presentation that I was curious about, which is I was curious and and afraid at the same time because. Um, if it does eye tracking, and if it uh, basically follows your eye movements and knows where what you're looking at and uh, highlights that part of the interface for you, um, that data uh, about what you're looking at is a very first of all, it's very private data, yeah, and exactly. it's very it's very rich data. And uh, mm -hmm. there was a there was a guy that was working on uh, Apple. Uh, a while ago, and he was experimenting with, with these kind of things, and he was in the Twitter thread where he explained that uh, just from the eye movements, they could infer what people were thinking about. It's and he, and he called it this kind of a low-level uh, mind-reading technology mm -hmm. to be able to track your eyes. And so while I was watching the presentation, I was like, okay, but please tell me that the data from your eye movements does not leave the device. And it's not shareable with anyone. And they actually said that they actually said that the, uh, as a privacy protection, the eye tracking eye tracking data does mm -hmm. not leave the device, and um, it's uh, not accessible by applications. So applications only know mm -hmm. the the clicks, like when people tap the fingers, right? Yeah. Which, which from a user point of view is awesome, right? So my. But I still see Apple creating like a sort of uh, aggregated like general report on like, you know, eye tracking and like app performance. I think the developers need stuff like that in order to make better. Yeah, but, they can't, but they can't actually. Now, they really now, can't. Yeah, now with what they announced, they can't because it doesn't leave the device. It's, com mm. it's computed in a separate thing. It doesn't leave the device, blah, blah, blah. Not even Apple knows it. And actually said it, not even we know it. So um, so that's mm. another question, which is good. And, what's, and that's actually what makes me think about if um, Facebook was doing it, they, they probably they wouldn't, wouldn't fall. Yeah, exactly. They wouldn't fall the same. <laughs> the same Facebook approach. is gonna sell you out every single time. Another would, thing I wanted to talk about, and in, in terms of my thoughts, is that I, I immediately thought that okay, the choice. So the one choice of having completely eye movement that was another choice in in the UX. Mm -hmm. Another choice they made versus the Meta Pro is they they chose to invest heavily in the hardware and we're okay with the higher price point. Um, and I think um, I think that was the right move. I think the reason why Meta is failing at VR is because they're overly betting on a wide audience caring about VR. And yeah. I think Apple, like, we're just not there yet. Like, if you think about it, and Apple has been a pioneer in so many other devices, they pioneered the iPhone, they have so much more experience on bringing new technology to market. Um, and I think they kind of knew, like, why would we make a consumer friendly version of this 
you know, because as we know, consumers aren't, they're not, the, they're not, they're going to get the iPhone, you know, after the four and five, like, that's just how it works. Like people who are first to new technology, they want premium over everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, think, and that's why it's yeah. called the pro as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like meta, like, you know, really trying to cater VR to for every day, I think that was a misstep on their part because, and also this speaks to like design philosophy, like often us as designers, we create the best case scenario. We create the, you know, the, mm -hmm. the stretch goal. We go out to come back in. And I think that's what Apple kind of does. They go out to come back in. And because Meta has chosen to limit themselves price point wise, they don't know the full possibility of, of this technology. Yeah. But, the, but the problem, um, I think that the problem is bigger than that. And we need to talk about mm. it because it has to do with business models. So um, yeah. Meta, Meta needs to have a cheap device, actually so, so cheap that they would even eventually in the extreme, give it, give it away for free to people so that they can serve people ads in that device, right? So that's, that's Meta's business model. Their business model is serving ads. And so if more people have more devices through which they can serve ads, awesome. Mm, that makes sense. So it means that the device needs to be cheap. It needs to be broadly available and distributed and so on. Apple doesn't care about that. Apple cares about makes it, makes it their money by selling hardware. And so, okay. of course, they need to have high profit margins in the hardware. And of course, they have to go for premium because there's more margin in that, right? Yeah. So I think I think I think it goes down to the to the business model even because mm -hmm. Mr. Zuckerberg definitely wants a lot of people. And I mean, by the way, after the Apple Vision Pro announcement, Zuckerberg said some things, and basically the gist of what he said was, um, "We're selling millions of devices. We will continue to sell millions of devices, and um, kind of like making them look like the Android version of." Um, mm -hmm of uh, VR answers. And uh, that's what makes sense for them because they need that because uh, they need to have more eyeballs to make more money. Um, which is which is honestly the uh, fastest way to make this whole VR thing dystopic, to be honest, right? Yeah. <laughs> because, because if you, uh, as a user, if you put an headset on uh, and the, in their case specifically, and you also have to use the controllers in your hands, mm -hmm. And you are bound by what uh, is being served into your eyeballs. Yeah. Then, I mean, that's 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 not really cool, right? And the way Apple did it, where the user has full control of what they're seeing, the user mm -hmm. has full like fine-tuned control of the level of immersion that they're in, right? With a with a crown thing, and they rotate to give more immersion and less immersion. Um, almost as if it was like a volume uh, knob, mm -hmm. right? Which it is on the uh, AirPods Max. And so it's, it is so thoughtfully designed in a way that empowers the user, the Apple device, that, um, yeah, it's something that Meta could never do. Uh, and and I, when I say never do it, I mean like from the business model point of view, they would have to change the business. They would have to become a, a hardware play. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's not what they're in for, right? So... Um, I mean, it's it's um, it's really a while to see. I mean, mm. I got I got the the vibes, um, the Steve Ballmer vibes from from Zuckerberg, mm -hmm. 
that uh, when the iPhone came out, they were like, oh, this is so expensive. Nobody was going to buy it. And I actually yeah, think it's that, definitely like repeating history. I definitely yeah, see it's, that. It's, 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 it's exactly that. And I think that, uh, um, I mean, if you, as a user, if you, um, if you want a good VR headset, um, you're going to compare it to a bunch of other hardware that you have, like your TV, your sound mm -hmm. system, your computer, your display, your desktop, uh, your wearables, whatever. And you're going to, I mean, it's not something that you want it to be cheap, to be honest, I think. Yeah. And so I even, I even think that the current price, I, I'm not sure, but I would even say that Apple uh, is going to sell that at that price point and it's not going to make any money maybe because it looks cheap for what it is like it has a lot of custom technology yeah, let's talk about it because i think yeah. it was, i want to do like a mini overview for our listeners so like um the cameras and sensors like so it has advanced cameras and sensors that work together so it has basically cameras on the outside um of it and that uh basically allows you to um verify your identity before you use it and it also um which is like not something that we've seen in a device An mm -hmm. another thing that it, it does is like the battery pack is separate so a lot of um other headsets have it included they've they've purposely allowed it to be separate because i think that was definitely a design choice there too yeah. because um I, I think the it's, reasoning it's, was, I think the device lighter. is already pretty heavy, first yeah. of all, because it's made out of like solid materials, like it's made out of glass and metal. And I think too, um, the battery life is really short because it's so advanced. And, and instead of having to carry that battery on your head on top of all that metal, having it in your back pocket was definitely a, a choice. I think yeah. a lot of people are complaining about the battery life. And I, honestly, I'm surprised that it even has the battery life it has for, for, for what all it's giving you. <laughs> you yeah, know? In, a, in, a, in a small power bank, actually. But, but yeah. the, good, the good thing about it being external is that you can uh, either plug it in, uh, you know, to the wall outlet or something, and it is continuous, or have a bigger power bank if you want. And, yeah, and, and they did that power. purposely through the marketing. You can see it's a very living room esque, like like basically places where you'll most likely have battery access. Yeah. I think they they kind of hinted at it for a plane, but if you're going on a long plane ride, obviously it's going to die before then. Yeah, but you can you can plug it in on the seat charger and thing. I, I yeah, guarantee you they're gonna sell you extra battery packs for this thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another thing is they have um, basically micro L OLED displays and um, in the outside, you mean for the for the eyes? Yeah. Yeah, for the eyes, and it's like similar to 4K TV for oh, each that's... eye. That's for the for the internal ones, yeah. I mean, it's it's the specs of that thing. That's crazy for each eye. So like, you imagine how yeah. like think like that's why it's expensive, <laughs> you know? Like, it should, yeah, it should be more expensive to be honest. I mean, um, the the uh, for people that that have tried VR, it mm -hmm. is very noticeable that uh, if you're looking uh, in a VR headset that doesn't have enough resolution. You can mm -hmm. see the pixels, and that basically destroys the illusion that you're it takes actually. You out of it. Yeah, it takes you out of it. So, same thing for sound, to be honest. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, it is both the refresh rate and both the uh, pixel density is very telling that you're uh, not in a real experience, right? I'm very curious about how it handles sound. Yeah. Um, 
Because I yeah, haven't. Know, I've, I've, I've done, I've done like, I don't know, seven years, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. I done an experiment with, with some friends where we basically did, um, we act together an Oculus Rift at a time. And mm-hmm. we put cameras on the outside and basically we were feeding the image from the outside to the inside, right? So basically video pass through. But what we were doing is like we were simulating um, drug hallucinations, <laughs> visual drug hallucinations. So you would see the your real world, but mm-hmm. maybe distorted or different colors, saturated, whatever. And um, we were doing that to experiment with some things and even to maybe try to do some, uh, you know, treatment protocol for addiction and so on. Uh, so the, the the idea would be that people would be that would be addicted to drugs would wear the VR headset and have the high of the visual hallucinations, uh, <laughs> but without the that's cannabis. funny without the actual. Um, and when we were doing that, we were like, okay, how do we do this with sound? So sound is was like we we tried it without sound, and it just sounded it just felt weird because it was not complete at all. It's so yeah, disjointed. Yeah, I think yeah, the last so, piece of technology I want to talk about is the choice for you to be able to see the user's eyes on the outside, mm-hmm. which is not something we've seen in any VR headset. And I think it's because it's mostly controlled through the eye. And I think they want, I think it would be weird for you. They want other people who are interacting with you. And if you had a headset to like have a point of reference for what you're looking at. Yeah. Um, is there any other reason you think that they chose to do that? Um, I which mean, is not even real. It's not goggles. Like it's a camera that scans your face and then displays them on the outside. It's very sophisticated how it's like replicating your face. Essentially, yeah, I think yeah, I think the sophistication of that was needed for FaceTime. So mm-hmm. if you have an headset and you want to be portrayed on FaceTime with your real face without your like without the camera, without an external mm-hmm. camera filming you, right? They would have to do an avatar of you. Mm-hmm. and have it mimic uh, your face expressions and so on. And Meta actually pioneered that, but in a bit of a, you know, cartoonish, uh, <laughs> comical way, like your avatar would, would mm-hmm. look cartoonish, basically. So they didn't went for the uh, hyper-realistic avatar. And App, uh, Apple did it, and I, I, I even if they didn't have the external display, Showing the the eyes, they would have to do it because they would need to demo FaceTime, right? Correct. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, it's not gonna work. Yeah. Otherwise, you would you would show up in FaceTime with what your emoji or something? That's not. <laughs> not so so they had to do it for FaceTime, and I guess they were like, oh, since we have a live feed of the user's facial expression, maybe we can also show it to the people around them and um, mm. put a display that shows it. So I think that was the order of operations, to be honest, because mm. I think it is much more important to have a digital avatar for you to be represented on video calls nowadays, right? Because everybody's on video calls all day. And uh, and, I, and I actually think that's the thing that's gonna, that's actually the most technological challenging thing that, they're, that they did because, um, you know, if you think about it, the infrared cameras that detect the eye movement can, you know, see what your eyes are looking at, mm. and that's okay. But how do you see? How do you do facial expressions? Yeah. yeah how do you see I if people are smiling or smirking? It has to be, has to be yeah, data okay. from your face ID. It has to yeah. be, or something like that. No, it is. That's the only it, data point. That, that's what it is. <laughs> they, people have to do an initial scan of their face, mm-hmm. so they create a three D model of your face and so on. But still, how do you animate your face? your 3D model of your face, right? With the right facial expression in the right mm-hmm. moment of a call, right? Because I figure that's going to be a really awkward when mm-hmm. you are in a FaceTime call and your avatar is smiling because that's your default expression and someone says something really sad 
where you shouldn't be smiling and you're still smiling, yeah. right? That's going to be weird. I'm interested to test, like how do they, you know, I, there, there has to be some sort of AI bridging the gaps essentially with like your yeah. face movements and stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised if you, if you're an iPhone user, if they're using some of the face ID uh, yes. information on top of this. The by, by the way, I, I, they are already because since <laughs> iPhone 11, I think when you do a FaceTime call, the the video of your eyes actually is uh, superimposed with the uh, yeah. I remember there was a news article about that, and I was like, yeah, there because were some glitches and people were like it... having weird eye movements. Yeah, because because basically they're replacing your eyes so that you're not looking at the screen, you're looking at the camera, so you're looking straight at to them. the other person's yeah. eyes, so that you can make eye contact. So if you try to do a FaceTime call with someone that has the latest iPhones or something, it looks like you're looking to this person's eyes. But you're not. You're actually looking at the screen and the camera on top and of the screen. And they're is, like correcting it. Yeah. yeah, they're correcting it exactly. So they're doing that for like three or four years, mm-hmm. and I guess they did that also while they're doing that, right? They're also learning. Okay, how do we replace the users' um, mm-hmm. representation of their eyes so that they're gazing to the right spot and not to the not to the screen instead of the and camera? I, right? I think that's where definitely where AI comes into play because. Any other, I've seen some other products that are more advanced than this, but it, it requires so much work on the user's part. Like you have to go to a studio, get yeah. your body scanned, and it's like a yeah. whole thing. And so, you know, from a regular, no one, no one wants to have to do all that in order to access the technology. And there's going to have to be more and more ways to fill in those gaps. Yeah. And I think... I wouldn't be surprised if like Apple develops some sort of like face scanning app or face where you like basically record a bunch of expressions and it like basically uses right. it as, as I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So right now for Vision Pro, they have an onboarding process mm-hmm. where you have to scan your face and I don't know how long does it take or how many expressions do you do on that onboarding thing. Mm-hmm. But in the same way that for uh, Siri, and mm-hmm. for it to recognize your voice, you have to say a bunch of sentences, exactly. I guess you would also have to do a bunch of expressions on the onboarding process so that it maps correctly your full scope of your facial expression as a, as a person, yeah. And I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if it, like, learns more. I think I, I definitely they, are, they have to be using some sort of AI to unpower this. And yeah. honestly, I think... This is the key. I think this is where Web3, to tie it back into Web3, where Web3 misses the mark. Apple is selling you a vision. It's selling you a dream. It's selling you use cases. The technology behind it is secondary. Yeah. The specs, the specs don't matter. The specs are secondary. They're selling you a dream. And then, like, through this discussion, you know, you know, through technology-focused people like ourselves, we can sort of infer, okay, they have to be using this to do this. They yeah. have to be using that to do that. But on the consumer's end and in the marketing, that's not the focus. The focus is the vision, the dream that is this device. And I think I've seen a lot of conversations in Web3 about like, we need to get more focused on on benefits and value adds. And I think like this is a prime example. When it comes to frontier technology, you don't sell them the technology, you sell them the vision. Um, And we could do a lot more and I've been doing that in, in the role that I've been in, but I think collectively we could do a lot more work on on doing that more and selling the vision of what this unlocks versus selling the actual um, technology. And I think a lot of times in Web3, we, we kind of muddle what is consumer 
uh, messaging and what is developer messaging. Right. Yeah. A lot of times we do both in one page. And I think that that was a misstep for, you know, as a community, I think we should have been more like tailored in our, in our messaging and our marketing of, of this technology. Um, yeah, that's not, that's not really the, the issue. I mean, you know, it is kind of a, a, a tradition in Web3 to be uh, builder focused and developer mm-hmm. focused and blah, 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 right? So uh, it is um, a quirk or a feature of mm-hmm. for all the bull markets, you really didn't have to worry about actual metrics that matter like yeah because people were making money and it was all like party people were making money and throwing parties either way um Mm. and so uh i mean the messaging didn't even matter but um but i I think it is kind of a a a legacy issue that we have in web3 which is it looks like the main persona the main user is the builder Mm-hmm. and the developer and the whatever and so um we will never reach a mass market with that messaging for sure right mm-hmm. um and i mean for example coinbase does a bit of that messaging to be honest with those you know let's update the system kind of ads and stuff like mm-hmm. that because they are clearly uh targeting mass market obviously right mm-hmm. uh retail and um which now puts them in trouble with a second, all that, but yeah, um, but uh, they they've done a bit a, a, a bit of that, but it's um, but I think it's the only thing. I mean, uh, centralized exchanges have been the only kind of thing in crypto that are actually, actually forced, market. yeah, uh-huh. actually forced the market to real users because that's what they need. Um, yeah, but I, I think. I mean, I think, I mean, I could go on a whole tangent on this, but I, I, you know, to focus on the topic at hand, I'll say my last thing. Someone, someone was speaking in there. Sorry, my freaking um, YouTube just unpaused itself in the middle. <laughs> so annoying. Uh, but I can go on a tangent about that. But long, long story short, I I believe that yes, because of the the um you know the crypto high of two thousand seventeen, there was little incentive to op- to optimize UX, and so like people were like, it's working. Why not? You know, keep doing it. And then the bear market hit, and then you know we saw a lot of places struggle. And I, I think in general, though, and this is a conversation that's happening in a lot of different places, we're experiencing a lot of churn, meaning like we have reached like everybody who's in the crypto or who's going to be into it has already onboarded. And so many apps are struggling with onboarding past mm-hmm. their niche audiences. And I think they're struggling with that because they fundamentally built their products for the niche and not for the masses. And now they're forced to pivot. And going back to this greater conversation and using Apple as an example, I think we, we as product builders should, should be visionaries and, and stop succumbing to the short-term gratification and short-term building. I think I see a lot of short-term building. I see a lot of myopic views on, on product and there's a lack of vision and we and apple has shown us that it does pay off to have a vision to have a strong point of view out of the gate and kind of have a little bit of forethought instead of building you know 
Apple didn't build faster horses, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, built, the, they built them I mean, the bottom of the you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the, we also have to take in mind that Apple is in, in a crazy position, right? Something that yeah, because they're, they're a billion, is, trillion dollar. Yeah, trillion dollar <laughs> company has all the money, all the access, all the technology in the world. I mean, it's all the talent. So um, they can do this stuff. But the reason is also, well... Uh, Google has as well, Amazon has as well, Facebook has as well, right? So why don't they do it, right? So we should compare Apple with their peers, and yeah, not, so, right. not, not not so much with with uh, you know upstart, uh, um, you know young startups and so on. I, I, I regarding what you said about startups, um, web three companies focusing on the nation, then to the detriment of the mass markets, uh, and then mm-hmm. figure out, oh, we have no users. I think that the worst part on that is that when you figure out that you have to uh, change your product to serve the mass market, then you realize, oh, it's the, the wrong ne- product. <laughs> yeah, of course, we, we need to change it completely. Yeah, but um, um, but that's okay. I mean, we could redesign it. The problem is that we're going to lose the power users that we already have because mm-hmm. since we're going to change the product, they're not they will not like the changes, right? Yeah. So that's the that's the struggle that uh, a lot of um, uh, you know, niche Web3 uh, startups products uh, have to face because especially in crypto, the difference between the power user and the, you know, the person that just learned about crypto today or Web3 mm-hmm. today, that difference is astronomical. So like, big. Just, like so big. It's, it's enormous. And so you cannot do a product that serves all of them properly that they're willing to pay for, right? Yeah. And so um, uh, you have to choose who you're serving very carefully and sometimes you choose one audience that's very niche and very power user, and maybe they'll pay for that. But uh, you realize there are only like fifty people in the world like that, right? Yeah, <laughs> and so, exactly. And so um, it it is really. And if you want to go, if you, you want to go mainstream and you and want to do a, a product to onboard the masses, you're going to have to need a lot of money to endure the mm-hmm. months and months of just offering a service for free or product for free to onboard all those mm-hmm. people so then eventually you monetize so so mm-hmm. we're caught in this in this place where mm-hmm. um yeah you're, you're in between the sword and and the wall basically yeah and it's a tough place to be and i think i think nine times out of ten the answer is two products as, as much as people yeah. hate to to have to redo work um yeah but the, by the way but, but that's exactly what um <laughs> Again, going back to exchanges, there's Coinbase Pro and Coinbase Not Pro. There's Kraken mm-hmm. Pro and Kraken Not Pro, and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. right? So that's the reason, right? Because a niche uh, a power user trader needs completely different things than mass market, right? And, and so it's easier it's to build new. for those separate audiences into two separate products than it is to like mesh it all into one. Yeah, mesh that's it all yeah. into one because yeah. then you just have a, a, a like a, a conflated user experience, and then yeah, exactly. nobody knows how to use this damn thing anymore. Yeah. It doesn't help the masses, and it doesn't help the pro users, and it's just like a Frankenstein product. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is which is the worst of both worlds. So well, yeah, okay. the worst of both worlds. I think um going back to like VR technology, I think my immediate thought non-web three related is like this device could effectively like kill theaters if more mm-hmm. and more um like studios like create, you know, 3D or like Vision Pro versions of their movies um to be more immersive 
Um, but on the Web3 front, we I've seen a lot of NFT gallery experiences and, and like attempts at making NFTs more than just a JPEG. <laughs> And I think what what Apple's and, and you know Quest device allows you to, they, primarily Apple because Apple is building for applications versus Quest hasn't and other devices haven't built for that they've built for gaming and some other use cases. Yeah. I think it definitely uh, like allows for a lot more utility in the digital experience space, and I think this is potentially good news for NFT creators and artists alike um and developers who work with them yeah i mean one of the things that i um again i might be i might be uh releasing the crack in here uh, with this <laughs> but the, one of the things that i immediately thought about uh you, you saw in the in the presentation when they did the demo uh of disney uh that at the point uh, the user is wearing the goggles and they extend their arm and like a, a bracelet gets into their arm right um, and I and I immediately thought that okay, that bracelet could be an NFT, <laughs> and uh, you could have actually the representation of the NFT uh, being customized to your uh, unique thing, right? And I think that the um, uh, pulling back your comment earlier of, of replacing replacing theaters, I think the big difference is if you're if you're going to the theater and the room has uh, two hundred people, two hundred seats or whatever. Uh, all those 200 people are watching the same thing, right? They're looking at the same screen, watching the exact mm-hmm. same thing. I think we're going, storytelling is going to change mm-hmm. when people realize that, oh, wait, now we have 200 people in the room, maybe or not, and they're all wearing their own screens, which means that the storytelling should be customized for each one of them individually, which yeah. means that the name of the character, of the main character, is your uh, name or, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. And so... Um, if everybody has their own screen and storytelling can be customized like that, they'll be they'll be really crazy, right? Because everybody yeah. will have their own unique experience and everybody will have their own um, role to play on that storytelling, right? And I think Disney was hinting at that with that uh, initial um, you know demo that they did and so on. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think it's it's going to be really quite something when you're going to be able to put your on your headset and you're going to you know watch a football game and you're going to be part of one of the players in the pitch and you're going to be able to move around as if you're in the middle of the you know of the yeah, other players in the ball running around it. so i mean that's yeah. crazy that's crazy and uh, and everybody would experience the game like that right so um it is it's it's going to be quite something when all this becomes super personalized mm-hmm. and i think that if every if everybody has a screen in their eyes it can be super personalized and um and uh which which means that storytelling and content creation will need to be um parametric like Mm -hmm. instead of you just designing or telling one story you tell the story with parameters where like this is the person's name and this is the person's name designers are going to be definitely primed for for creating and like leading this this front because they already do that to an extent um Do you do you think Web three, in particular, is uniquely positioned for this technology versus other industries? I think I think personally, Web three and gaming are. Yeah, um, but I think, so. I think so because the if if everything and again it's from this uh, perspective of personalization because if everything is going to be personalized, 
where is going to be the data that represents yourself and that mm-hmm. uh, apps and other external content can use to personalize their experience for you, right? Mm-hmm. The answer, the Web3 answer is going to be in your wallet. So yeah. you're going to be able to connect your wallet and you have there your NFTs and your name and your domains and your mm-hmm. whatever you want. And that's going to be the content that people will use to customize their, their experiences from there, right? So I think the place where that information is needs to be uh, user-owned and yeah. decentralized and yeah. not controlled by one single organization, which means that it will not live on my Apple ID. It should live on my wallet, right? Yeah. And um, uh, I think that's the main the main use case for App3, to be honest, right? Um, people... Portable data. That yeah, plugs when, in. Exactly. yeah. When, when people start to look at their wallets as like, this is my identity, this represents me, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to curate what's in here, and I'm going to make it be a good representation of myself, at least their art wallet, let's say. Mm-hmm. Not their, uh, you know, whatever. Not their main wallet where they have their money, because... You know, your identity is not just your account balance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, for most people, at least. But um, uh, if uh, you can make your wallet your identity, and if that identity is on the blockchain, and if it is readable by uh, whoever you give access to, and blah, 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 you know, yeah. So that's that would be the goal. I don't think it can be owned mm-hmm. by a single corporation, because then there will be no cross-platform compatibility at all, right? So if it is mm-hmm. just my Apple account, it won't be possible to be accessible by Apple apps. Not And that's generally the problem right now. Like, yeah. that's the problem with single sign-on right now. Because yeah. now I have a, I have an Apple single sign-on, I have a Google single Like, it's just so fragmented and hard to keep up. And there's going to need to be a universal solution for for your data. And I think... I've yet to see a product position blockchain technology this way. And I think I think maybe the only thing I could think of is potentially maybe Magic Wallet, because they, you know, they they integrate with single sign-on. But and then maybe disco, because disco is like yeah. the whole value prop is like your digital backpack. Yeah, that's the one. But yeah, probably. Yeah. Really, this is a B2B product. Like you know, if you really think about it, like and we're going to need an entire entire industry to get on board with the idea of a universal single sign-on that is blockchain powered. Um, yeah. and that and that the uh, applications can, well, first of all, that users can choose their own app, mm-hmm. meaning their wallet app, through which they, um, you know, use to manage their uh, identity wallet, right? That, mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that's already happening, right? You can use MetaMask, mm-hmm. you can use Rainbow, you can use whatever, but also. Uh, applications and frontends need to be able to uh, allow people to log in with any of those, right? And so, which already kind of happens, right? You can log in with MetaMax and so on. And um, I, I think it's it's um, uh, it's really key that we get this kind of um, uh, um, practices where mm-hmm. I have on my wallet an NFT, which is a badge that gives me access to stuff in some community, in somewhere, someplace, some app, whatever. And uh, I can do stuff with that. I can trade it. I can do whatever I want to that. And I have control over that. And nobody can take that away from my wallet, right? Mm-hmm. Because if we if we bring it back to the main, um, you know, to the main quality of blockchain is that it is incorruptible and uncensorable. And so <laughs> if you have something in your wallet, you actually do have it, right? Nobody can take it away from you. Nobody can censor it. Nobody can change it. And I really want that for digital products. Like, I think that another thing 
maybe unrelated that I that I've personally seen gripes about is like how when you purchase digital content because it's centralized, they can decide to remove that content. Mm-hmm. They can decide to yeah, change yeah. that content. And like the only way to have a pure version of it is to buy the disc, which feels so archaic at this point. But that's really the only way. And I would love like, I mean, one example is like Beyonce's album had like like had like Khaleesi's Interpol in one of her songs and then she removed it on streaming. But like some people want the original version of the song. But because it's streaming controlled, you unless you bought the, the you know the disc when it first first came out, you were never gonna have that. So like I think it's gonna take a while for the public to see the value in having like blockchain like ownership digital assets that cannot be controlled. But there's that's a handful of use cases. I think a lot of um, because of the writer strike and things like that, a lot of places are taking off shows that have high royalties in order to like avoid paying <laughs> the the actors and people who made it um and us as end users are like well shit i wanted that like what the hell and you the only way to get it is to buy a disc <laughs> of the series like yeah. I, and you know it's it's funny because this is an example of how capitalism is at odds with technology like because from a publisher standpoint it it behooves me to have that centralized control, right? Over the content as a publisher, as a universal, as an Apple. But as a user, I would prefer to be able to to own and purchase the content that these publishers like put out. And those two, that's the difference between business needs and user needs. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and unless we create a demand for these types of things, like these publishers are not going to um to allow that content to be owned and purchased on the blockchain um yeah that's the problem of web3 in general like a lot of the things that our technology unlocks is are exactly at odds with like capitalistic structures that we have you know yeah right for now yeah but for now. In, in, in the same in the same way that uh, one of the biggest um ads for uh, for bitcoin and crypto was the uh, truckers strike in canada where their transactions were blocked and uh, people were like what are you seizing my bank account what 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 do you mean and then they started to use bitcoin to donate money to the truckers i mean i think those kind of events uh um kind of kickstart um uh an awareness in the general public that oh wait Maybe there's something else that could solve this, um, and uh, when it deals when it deals with people's money, that's very sensitive, and people will probably do something about it. When it deals with people with people's content or ability to consume content, maybe not so much. But um, if there is some piece of content that's very juicy and people want to watch, and it's unavailable in most mainstream. Um, uh, platforms, but it is available in one platform that is a decentralized platform and uh, asks you to connect with your wallet. People will create their wallet, right? <laughs> Just to access that piece of content or that juicy content that's uh, not available anywhere. So, you know, um, who's I mean, prime for this comedians. I've seen a. I'm a. I'm a oh, huge. Yeah. Fan. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of comedy, and I follow a lot of comedians, and I've noticed a lot of comedians are are tired of the centralization and censorship and so a lot of them are selling their own content on their own websites and i really like if i had all the money and time in the world i really want to build a patreon 
like slash like hybrid like experience for content creators to be able to sell like digitized content on the blockchain like easily and you know have memberships and all that of the like because i think right now the state of creator monetization is kind of like the user experiences aren't great um and it lacks personalization like for instance most people use patreon but patreon forces you in the same template no matter what the nature of your content is which Mm -hmm. makes it like terrible to navigate and also the the things that they allow you to offer is is down and then also they take a cut off off the top you you know it's like it's like a lot of like problems and i think i think um like i think the core of what you're saying is like yeah like we should be in tune with the world as an industry and like serve up these solutions in a timely matter, just like the, you know, the, the trucker crisis, like what are other crises that are happening that we could like that, you know, web three products and services can respond to with like, our technology is going to help you in this moment, you know, like when they take, you know, content off of HBO max or something, could we market to those people and be like, here's our platform that serves content and allows you to own, you know, like speak to people. And I think in a more timely manner, then then like being siloed off like we are as an industry right now i think that's another problem is like we're we're like two in our own corners optimizing for yeah. our own niches instead of like being receptive to like what's happening yeah. um and then and, that's and that's mainly because of technical constraints right because mm-hmm. you, still, you still have to force people to uh, write down 12 seed words uh, <laughs> So I mean, with with things like with things like account extra- abstraction and smart accounts and so on, mm-hmm. that is probably coming, maybe hopefully. Hopefully, um, um, that that will that will become easier, and uh, and the, the the transition between the web two world and the web three world for most people will be uh, painless, and uh, and uh, I think that's that's one of those unlocks that we need and. Right now, account abstraction has been uh, all over the place. Well, at least in crypto Twitter, and uh, that's good. Although there's still um, a challenge going there, which is the technology already exists for like four years or something, but it has never became mainstream, and it has never um, um, fully realized itself, right? But now it's getting pushed a little bit more into the into the mainstream narrative. And maybe more builders and more creators and more developers will start picking up on that and start to imagine better use cases with uh, uh, account abstraction that they can maybe potentially serve more people and specifically the mass market, right? And if that starts to happen, I think we're in a good path. Uh, and I think that's that's uh, that's one of the ways for us to get out of this rut of like, oh, we're only... Uh, we're only a couple of users in this space and we're all building for each other and we're, we're all, uh, you know, uh, in the same silo. Um, and we need to break out of that and, and start to uh, design yeah. and create for mass market. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's a, it's a combination of the technology is not there yet in a lot of cases and a, techno- and a combination of us not um, having great marketing in general. Um, and I think places like serotonin and some other places are talking about how to better marketing in the space. Um, I guess my last thought before we close this out is given the market, where do you see 
Web three in like the next one, two, three. <laughs> okay, let me choose a year. The next um, three years. <laughs> are you are you asking me how, how bullish or bearish am I on this space? Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean not in terms of like number go up, but in terms of like pro, you know, like this the space, you know, the technology, yeah, the, the space itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think we. Um, I've been seeing a bunch of people. Um, losing faith in the space, which I think is totally understandable, and I don't judge them too much about that. Uh, but, um, um, I mean, to me, the fundamental things about crypto and Web3 as this latest chapter of crypto, let's say, uh, are still true. You know, people still need uh, a way to transact uh, value in in whatever way they see fit and that they fully control and blah, blah, blah. So all that is still true. Um, I think it's becoming more and more mm-hmm. apparent that uh, crypto and Web3 cannot be stopped by um, regular um, powers that be. And even though they try to litigate and regulate and all that, mm-hmm. I mean, it will always yeah. come come down to the question of like, oh, so do you want to stop the internet then? Because <laughs> because there's no way there's no way you can uh, forbid people to uh, use this kind of technologies, and so um, you know, I think I think this battle is going to be uh, it's going to be much bigger in the future when we're dealing about uh, about things like mm-hmm. encryption and uh, and um, your right to browse the web without being tracked and so on. And um, um, I mean, I see no uh, possibility that that mm. can be stopped. So it's not a question of if it's going to happen, like the Web3 crypto revolution, I believe it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And maybe yeah. it will be delayed with more back and forth, I, I or maybe it will be faster. I don't a know. Decoupling I don't really care. of um, crypto so, technology uh, and crypto assets. And I think that, and this is the reason why, I think the market is always up and down, super volatile, you know, and I think there is a fundamental difference between tokenomics, tokens, those sort of things, and the other parts of our technology. And I think right now, since we're, we're all talking about, you know, value and benefits and marketing, I think that is going to result in a rebranding of crypto as like, there's crypto and then there's Web3. <laughs> and I think um, there, I'm starting to see more and more projects um, lead with the Web3 and not the crypto aspect. Like, you know, I think I think I recently saw Linster just got a huge, like, you know, influx of cash, I think. And I think people on the outside looking in, like, you know, the, the VCs mm. and the people who have money, they see the real value in the technology and what it, it unlocks, like the, some of the use cases that we've been talking about. And they're less interested in the the other part of you know, DeFi and and the financial um, technology, like I think as we are starting to yeah. progress, like this is the freaking future. Like the Apple Vision Pro is the beginning of what we envision the future to be in our lifetime, and I think there's going to be things that these big companies are going to run into that are going to be like, you know what, we should use blockchain technology because this would make this a lot easier. Um, 
Yeah, for now, you know, just from a, a technological standpoint, and that's, I think that's the yeah, personally, for, I think for, in for three years, like Web three technology is going to yeah. be more mainstream, and you as an end user won't know it. <laughs> it'll it'll be people like you and me abstracting all that away, and and Web three being more about um, the use cases. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and crypto will will you know live in its own silo, I believe. Um, correct. Yeah. People mm-hmm. people people will notice when they will be able to change apps without losing their content and their data, for example, <laughs> right? People will notice mm-hmm. when they uh, don't need to do uh, fifty different logins to log in into fifty different things, and they just need, you know, their their wallet and their face ID, or whatever attached to that. So they will notice on those small things, and uh, and uh, also on the uncensorable part, like the the content cannot be deleted and so on, um, which is totally fine and okay. Mm-hmm. I also think there's another force that is pushing people Correct. to the non-financialization part of crypto or Web three, which is the legal constraint, right? Because VCs are VCs are now realizing that oh wait, we invested <laughs> in all these DeFi's and 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 whatever. And maybe there's securities. Maybe we're going to jail. Oh, we just and take so that out. <laughs> we we either we either move our offices yeah. to the UK or we we don't. Or we just don't. We just don't do that, right? So there's also that part of the issue. Um, and uh, uh, I mean, there. I I think that the approach that's going to win mm-hmm. in there is uh, something like maybe what's happening with. Uh, with Maker and and some other uh, stable or pseudo stable coins like that, and that's uh, where I think really in crazy impressive, amazing technology is being built to create crypto assets that are uh, actually useful instead of just being speculative and people can you know make mm-hmm. them go up and get rich right, uh, but they actually have uh, utility because they are either actually stable or whatever it is or resilient or or whatever it is, and. Um, and I think that's going to be uh, where most of the action is going to be. But I agree with you that um, uh, in a large scheme of things, the Web3 scope is to actually separate the uh, technology of crypto uh, mm-hmm. from the financialization aspect of it and to use it across some other things, right? And one of the main things is probably, mm-hmm. you know, how we organize ourselves as, as groups and we do DAOs or, or something uh, that, uh, that comes from DAOs or whatever. How do we um, um, express our own creativity with NFTs? How do yeah. we, you know, do all those other things that are not necessarily um, uh, financial speculation? And I mean, I think, I hope um, that uh, this bear market doesn't last too long because more and more mm-hmm. people are uh, being, uh, you know, getting drained from, from the Web3 space from that. From, from that. But um, um, I, I think that uh, for someone that is in this space, um, if they truly believe on the, on the, on the merits of this technology, uh, it's not, you know, it's not a, a EDBD bear market that uh, is going to make them, uh, um, you know, go away. So, um, or, or or question their faith, let's say. Um, but again, we're all probably uh, crazy for believing this <laughs> uh, in this in this stuff, and uh, we're all mad here, playing basically. around with magic well, internet money. That's a great money, note so. to, le- to leave on. 
Thank you so much for finishing this episode of Designer Dowd. To learn more about us, follow us up on Twitter and our website, designer-dowd.xyz. Till next time.